Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Dan, um, I have a confession. I have a confession to make. I must bear my sins before uh, the podcast audience. Uh-huh. Um, I've been digging. You've been digging? <laughs> I've been digging. Lord, have mercy on my soul, Dan. I've been doing some digging. Um, yeah, there was some, some, something that I read that was like... <laughs> Digging and plowing and putting manure in the ground. I was like, okay, <laughs> you're like, you've no lost way. Me. You've lost me, diggers. <laughs> I know. God damn them. Um, I ran out of compost at the allotment, more or less, and I have like 30 seed potatoes that needed using up. They're just taking over my flat, and uh-huh. I just had to get rid of them, so I had to dig. Um, and dig I did, and uh, I feel kind of bad about it. What are you going to do? Potatoes in the ground. I still have like ten goddamn sea potatoes. That I don't know what to do with. I put one in like an empty like bucket. I was just like, ah, I had too many potatoes. I don't know what to do with them. But that's my confession, Dan. I've been doing digging after all of our uh, long conversations about the virtue of no till. Yeah, not digging. I've fallen. I'm a I'm a fallen digger. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Sadly. Uh-huh. What are you gonna do? Stop digging, I guess. Um, I, I'll um, absolve you of your sins. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Let the, the trial by podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't know what they're going to do. Yep. Um, they might be out for you. Pitchforks. And, <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, Jesus. Well, they're all no dig, so they probably don't have like, pitchforks. They've probably got like, little trials. <laughs> They've just got sticks they're dipping with nothing sticks. at the end. They're dipping sticks. <laughs> yeah, dipping stick. I would love a dipping stick, my God. Yeah, I think you just have to like sharpen down a broom handle. <laughs> I think yeah. so. And it was so funny. I was watching like Charles Dowding's videos and I was like, wow, that's such a good stick he's got. I wonder how he made that. But I was like, it's just a stick. It's yes. not. It's like a spade handle. Yes. I'm like, how did he do that? What a complicated piece of tech. <laughs> yeah, so my technology uh, pretty much ends. <laughs> Basically in keeping with yeah. the mid-70s century. Yeah, exactly. Oh, goodness. Well, uh, Dan, spring is in the air. It's been amazing, hasn't it? It's been, it's been amazing. really lovely. Literally the perfect temperature for our American listeners. It's been about 72, 74. I was thinking about this today, yeah. Mm. We're touching on 20 degrees. Oof. So, yeah, what is that's translated? Mm. About the 70s. It's beautiful Fahrenheit. today and yesterday. Um, and then I think we're... Yes, it's, it's, it's gone. It's done now. It's done now. <laughs> it's, yeah, that was our yeah. spring. Um, um, but yes. Mm. Everybody already knows, so it's not worth saying. But yeah. <laughs> the clock's changed, and the days the feel clock's long. Changed. Oh my god! Feels I like know. summer. The world feels like barbecue. It smells <laughs> like barbecues. Everybody's got their shorts on. Everybody's oh wearing god, their nice yeah. dresses. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. everybody's really going for it. I we saw. Just drove past the park, and it was full of people sitting uh, in um, small groups. <laughs> yeah, we are officially allowed I'm legally allowed to actually meet people outside. To sit with people outside. Um, remember when the like conservative estimates were like. Guys, last year, they're like, last year, they're like, this will be over by June. Don't worry about it. That was like, whoa, maybe July, maybe July. Feels like July of last year. Jesus. Um, But yeah, I know spring's here because I saw my first uh, pasty, bold, fat, really sunburned (laughs) British man today. And I was like, ah. Did he have his shirt off? He did. (laughs) Of course he did. And like the top of his belly was sunburned. You saw a British arse crack. Exactly. It's the British version of Punxsutawney Phil. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh goodness uh-huh. wow. um wow. wow what a time good for you yeah well um <laughs> should be on all the tourist brochures <laughs> yeah come to england um uh what was i gonna say something about um you said it smelled like barbecue did you notice today in town all day this could just be me having a stroke it smelled like 
There's like a weird smell in town. It could have just been barbecue, but for some reason, I was just walking back from the allotment and it smelled like, like burnt, like pizza crust, <laughs> like everywhere at the allotment here, everywhere. I was like, oh. what's going on today? Okay. There's a weird smell hanging around town. <laughs> I did smell. not smell <laughs> okay. the, 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 the burnt pizza crust, I'm afraid. <laughs> so it may just be you. Could be me having a stroke. What are you going to do? I'll keep an eye on him, folks. Mm. <laughs> I'm fine. He I'm doing all, fine. He seems all right. <laughs> Half of his face is slanted, but you know what are you gonna do? Um, Danny went for another swim today. That I went for another nice. swim. Bit Just of a wade, now. perhaps. Yes, it was. Um, <laughs> it was three hours after low tide, after high tide. So, um, yeah, there was no getting out of your depth or anything, yeah. and it was silty underfoot and <laughs> sinking into the quicksand. It was a very strange experience, yeah. but it was relatively warm. Yeah, and I stayed in longer than I normally do. Didn't scream. Uh, I Am don't I... think so. Right. I waded out to my middle and then sort of <laughs> paced around for quite a long time. It's so much easier to get all the way in when it's like two steps and you're in, like yeah. fully submerged yeah, out yeah. of your depth. Like it's so quite a big, it. it's quite a big barrier when you're just like I've actually got to yeah. take a plunge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The beach, the beach here is more or less. We've said this before the Thames, so it's more or less kind of <laughs> yeah. just like. A uh, uh, long walk in relatively shallow water when the tides, as it was. Yeah, it was very silty today, mm. so it probably looked very much like the Thames as well. <laughs> Such is life. But it was it was a nice thing to do. We got there and we're like, are we going to really do this? <laughs> um, but how long have you been doing that for? You've been doing it for a, have you come around for a full year, for seasons? Um, not quite. I don't. I I suppose not. No, I suppose. Mm. Started going semi semi regularly at the end of spring, beginning of summer last year. Gotcha. And went a fair few times during the summer, and then have gone semi regularly through the winter. So I suppose maybe I can count as having done a yeah. done a winter of um of uh what would you call Polar it sea, <laughs> sea swimming. Um, although I don't do a great deal of swimming. Sure. to sort of get in and get back out again <laughs> so yeah the, yeah ice pool plunges perhaps yeah seasonal wades yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mm. um just um tempting hypothermia <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, ooh, not this time <laughs> i was thinking um because around here back in the day there's there's a bit of england not too far from us called thanet as we both know Thanet, uh, for the royal listener, used to be an island, and they still call it the Isle of Thanet. It took me a very long time to figure out why they call it that, because it's not an island. Um, and this was because of changing uh, sea levels, et cetera, et cetera. This part of England used to be an island. And so when you kind of take the train from there, that's like the very southeast corner of England, a little tip. You do notice that like there are cliffs and stuff where like it would have been an island, and then you kind of come back more towards like London, and it kind of like valleys out a bit. And it's very flat, and there's not much there. And we were just talking about this recently. The implications of uh, climate change in this part of England aren't great. <laughs> in fact, they're pretty bad <laughs> for anybody who lives in that little uh, dip. Uh, might not be great. Mm-hmm. Might not be too great. Mm-hmm. And I never thought mm-hmm. about that before. But like Jesus. Oof. Oh, well. There's a, there's a, I was being told um, about a, um, I suppose it's a sci-fi novel. It's a post-apocalyptic Ooh. novel, I suppose, Ooh. which is set in Kent. I think oh, wow. it's called Ridley Walker. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it is once again an island. <laughs> um, the People's Republic I, of Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't recall anything more about the plot or what the people right. of Thanet were like <laughs> then. 
fish the, people. Yes, quite. People around here are really <laughs> What like... their relationship to the plot is. <laughs> oh, okay. They, they're just sitting there. But yes, I think Canterbury might be at the coast again. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you yeah. look at maps, like, the Stour, basically, like, the ocean almost came all the way up to Canterbury. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there are, there are several places you can, if you go, I mean, obviously, you've already said if you go out towards um, uh, the proverbial Isle of Thanet, you do cross <laughs> this long stretch of very flat land, which um, is very noticeably different to yeah, lots yeah, of yeah. the terrain kind of thing. Like, yeah. it clearly is a very low basin kind of thing. Hmm. And um, also, if you go to the south coast, um Romney Marsh is very similar. That all would have been underwater mm. once. And if you go there, it's very strange because there's all these towns that are like new oh, X yeah, yeah, place. That's cool. um, and there's also like old, there's that like old <laughs> Romney and new, I don't know whether new Romney's, but there's all these places that were old and new variants where like mm. this old, the old version used to be the coastal oh, that's interesting. town, but now oh, it's wow. either been replaced or been totally depopulated or like. Cool. Um, there, um, that's kind of horrifying. I, I, there, there were some quite significant. I don't quite know. I know enough about this, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> yeah, there well, that'll were, be the whole episode. There, today. The, the, um, the, um, there is a slightly sensationalized story, which mm-hmm. I think um, may well have happened, but is not in itself responsible for the entire shift in the coastline of gotcha. Kent. But there was a really dramatic storm in like 12 something, um, oh, wow. which. Um, there's a river there, the River Rother, which is supposed to have entirely changed its course as a result of this storm. And so um, a cer- a certain towns that used to be, that suddenly were not at the coast, they were at the coast wow. and huge numbers of places were flooded. And oh, um, Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, I, I did, there is a, there is a, well, there is a, there is a walk all the way around, the, the, the um, Saxon shore where you can walk mm. the old, saxon coastline kind that's of pretty thing. cool and i walked a portion of that uh last summer huh. um and it was very it was it was very it was you could very noticeably like we were suddenly walking along a cliff and then we were very clearly mm. dropping down onto oh, what wow. would have been the the water and then you go up onto what would have been very clearly used to be an island and now isn't kind of thing oh and cool sort of like drop down the other side and walk across this other huh. flat kind of things so, um hmm. very interesting topography where you can very clearly see hmm. um what it would have been like 800 years ago oh, that's crazy what 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 do you think the naming conventions are going to be for and when... if you go to somewhere like um rye uh-huh. like it's very clearly a town that used to be on a cliffside mm. but the sea is gone so it sort of just peters out and then you're on the flat again kind of thing sure yeah. what do you think the naming conventions are going to be for when old romney is now <laughs> back on the shore yeah yeah is it, is new, it old new, romney? new or old yeah new old or new old romney. new new or old new or yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's like some family that's been there for 800 yeah. years. They're like, we were waiting. Romney the third. <laughs> yeah, they're like coal barons. They're like, we just wanted this to happen so we get our coast back. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, speaking of England, Coastal Dan, topography. Speaking of, okay. well, not really coastal topography. Speaking of Kent, speaking of digging, speaking of um, my perhaps lack of knowledge about certain things, we're talking diggers today, Dan. Yes. We're talking true levelers. I'm excited. This is. This I'm been... excited as well. Yeah, I'm not sure where it's going to go. I'm not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm hoping... not sure whether we've read from any of the same materials, <laughs> so it's going to be a bit more informal, perhaps. Hopefully, this is going to be a can, combined. We can combined our knowledge. Yeah. So I read some kind of like synthesis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some kind of ultra brain. I read 
Arch um, reactionary. Arch reactionary. <laughs> well, no, not, not quite. Not quite. Not I read Arch Revisionist. revisionist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Edward Bernstein, two chapters from his Cromwell and Communism, specifically chapters nine. Yeah, nine, the true levelers and their practical communism. And chapter 10, the communistic utopia of Gerard Wynne Stanley, as well as I attempted to read something that Gerard Wynne Stanley himself, who we'll get to, the Mm -hmm. dude, Mm -hmm. the absolute dude. I'm impressed. (laughs) I'm extremely impressed. Wrote called The Law of Freedom in a Platform, which is kind of like a little utopian. Um, That's ostensibly what I read. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I read read from some of the same texts, some (laughs) portions of the same texts, um, and also dipped into a little bit of Christopher Hill, Mm. the famed sort of like premier historian of the... uh, Mm. The English Civil War and that sort of period. Yeah. I, I don't know much about Christopher Hill, and I only really skimmed what you read, but he, is he someone, what are his politics? Is he? Is he I think he's on the left, yeah. Okay. I, I wouldn't be able to place him beyond sure. that. But he isn't like someone who's like, I'm out here, like I'm a trot or something like that. Like, Or maybe uh, he is. I don't, know. I don't know. I mean, he might be one of these historians who was associated with the... Gotcha. Uh, the Communist Party of Great Britain mm. may well have separated himself from them. That's one of the major 20th century turning points where large people, mm. numbers of people left Orthodox communism. Large whether people it, as well. Where, <laughs> large people and large numbers of people. <laughs> whether it was like mm. the Prague Spring or whatever. Sure, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I'll be honest. I... I think he's someone who's also quite interested in like uh, literary study as well as like... Gotcha. Um, history so mm. and the, yeah. the overlap of the two kind of thing yeah i i every time i've kind of like gone to read about the levelers the true levelers the diggers all those all those fellas um i've pretty much only ever come across like fleeting references and like brief summaries of what the true levelers mm-hmm. and the diggers were all about and mainly and people just... just focus on the levelers. Mm-hmm. And so I was really impressed reading the Bernstein and the Hill, like really what they were up to. Because like Gerard Wynne Stanley was kind of like like the kind of like main person you can point to as like leading the true levelers, the diggers and all that. Um, Primary intellectual. Yeah. I was so like, wait a minute. He was talking about what? It was so cool. <laughs> I was I, I was impressed. I'll say that. Thank yeah. you, Gerard Wynne Stanley. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Um. Yeah, very interesting period of history. I mean, this is... Um, I mean, you may well know, know more about the English Revolution <laughs> than I do. We'll and so my um, my general understanding of the events and also the, the significance of certain dates and certain events and how they fit in with other goings-on, not entirely sure about. Sure. Um, clearly a pivotal moment in, in <laughs> British history, but also in the history of... Um, the the development of capitalism, mm. um, a whole series of conflicts that were clearly resulting from um, developments associated with the onset of capitalism. Sure, like uh, primarily enclosure, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of like uh, the de- the developing structure of wage labor, I think, and the kind of like yeah. um, developing marketization, yeah, um, and improvements, enclosures, more yeah, specifically yeah, agricultural yeah. stuff for sure, um, um, and how that was affecting the population. Mm. Um, mm. and yeah provoked I mean a huge huge uh, diversity of thought and um, mm. uh, it's most sort of radical 
wing was the, the mm. true level of I've got this book called, from Christopher Hill it's called The Experience of Defeat and I've, I've turned to it several times looking for reference to the diggers <laughs> um, and I had no idea that the diggers and the true levelers were the same people <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute what the hell <laughs> so I was pleased to find this book does indeed I mean clearly I didn't look very far or very hard <laughs> um, but yeah who knew the yeah. diggers the true levelers who did characters. Know? did they yeah. know I don't yeah. know um, I do you um should we try and differentiate the the, the levelers and the true levels? yeah let's try and frame it a bit yeah. just maybe just frame like 17th century england a little bit and <laughs> how these people were kind of like all coming together Go on, then. <laughs> <laughs> so it all starts with a guy called caesar <laughs> really <laughs> um no so i mean yeah i guess how far back do we need to go i mean the king at this point, who will eventually be executed, uh, King Charles, was a little big for his britches, perhaps. And I mean, there have always <laughs> as been... kings are want to as be. <laughs> kings are want to be. Fair enough. It's kind of in their job description. And there had always been tension between um, Parliament as it existed then, kind of like coming out of uh, the Magna Carta way long ago, and even before that, like Anglo-Saxon, just like get-togethers of the boys, as I believe they called it. Um and it kind of all came to a head when Parliament didn't really want to give him tax money, didn't really want to do much. And he just said, okay, we're just not going to have Parliament meet. This is a very cursory, like, you know, glimpse about what happened. And so, like, that's the political angle of all this. There wound up being several civil wars between Parliament and the king. Um, but I think what we need to take from that is that there were three poles of power and not just the Parliament and the king, the royalists and the and parliamentarians around heads and the cavaliers. But that there was this huge third pole of power, which eventually became... Um, the army because a lot of the kind of like radical ideas not radical not as radical as the true levelers but people like the levelers um, came out of the army so there's a famous guy named John Lilliburn who put forward what were very radical ideas when he basically said that okay Oliver Cromwell now that you've won now that you know we have like ostensibly a secular republic we need to make it a, a secular republic we can't just change the names of everything and continue as we were mm -hmm. we want I'm not going to say they wanted universal male suffrage uh, because I don't think that was quite true, but they wanted to expand the vote. They wanted to um, just have a republic, right? Mm -hmm. And so coming out of that then, like most of the people who wanted that were in the army because they weren't getting paid. They realized that like we fought this whole war that's decimated our country. I think I came across some statistic that was like in terms of percentages, more people died in English civil wars through famine or through, you know, attrition or just deaths on battlefields than... Um, uh, the UK um, in the First World War. This is a pretty bad time. And mm -hmm. when you're just like, I'm just not going to pay the army, they're going to be angry and they're going to be very radical. So some more like kind of, we might say like, not quite bougie because these aren't like PB guys, like some more kind of Republican ideals came from this where people were like, we want uh, parliament to do what it's say it's going to do. And we want like equality kind of under the law. And so that's the levelers, right? I mean, and I think that's worth kind of stopping on just for a moment because like, that was pretty radical for the time, but we shouldn't let historical bias and hindsight kind of like skew our vision to basically say like, well, this was all these people were capable of coming up with it in this time period. Because as we'll get to in a second, there were the diggers, the uh -huh. true levelers who were much more radical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that came up in the in the chapter on the levelers in Christopher Hill's um, The World Turned Upside Down, one of the sort of asides that he, he, he sort of steps into, I suppose, briefly, mm -hmm. um, is to say that, Okay, I'm sort of like um, 
knocking the levelers here a bit <laughs> and I'm sort of like celebrating the 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 forethought and the um the sort of the the radical um ingenuity I suppose of the of the the true levelers sure. but yeah, yeah. let's take a moment to reflect on the fact that in actual fact like the levelers were yeah. incredibly radical yeah for their time for the things that they were trying to propose right um mm. absolutely i mean it's also like in a similar way that you would say like robespierre or well maybe like guys that came slightly more before him were really radical in the french revolution when they were just answering the political question and not the social question it's a similar thing here right mm -hmm. and i mean still radical getting rid of monarchy yeah, yeah, yeah literally killed the king that's pretty insane yeah i mean it maybe you could break it down in such that like the 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 levelers were interested in political and i suppose like constitutional reform or sure. even just like building the foundation for a constitution <laughs> yeah. i suppose how did that go with this country dan how's yeah. that going Great, yeah. <laughs> still working on it <laughs> um and i suppose the the true levelers much more interested in mm. economic reform if you were going like, to break it down to, yeah. to simple terms like that kind of thing yeah i was interested bernstein made the point um where he said that the levelers represented the interests of the artisan and the heavy quotes here on my end advanced citizen and the true levelers were that of the labor laborers right mm -hmm. which i think is yeah it's fair but i mean like i again would be a little hesitant to call the people in the army who are kind of putting forward these ideas of like the levelers um as kind of like more advanced citizens because a lot of them were just like we want to get paid and we like you don't need to be pb petty bourgeoisie to see that like suffrage is a good idea and that like we need to expand the vote and like we should get the things that were promised so i thought that was like a maybe a bit of like a misanalysis on his part but mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but i suppose like helpful. um yes yeah yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. i mean that from 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 what i read from my understanding that their political base of strength was um in metropolitan areas this is the sure. the levelers mm. and as you say the army now i don't know um through the history of the 17th century 17th century like what periods of time there was there was a huge standing army or an army mm. mobilized or sure. various armies mobilized and when they were demobilized kind mm. of thing um so we might be talking about different periods where mm. when the army was active there were all these people who were riled up and ready to hear yeah. these these um these messages from what bernstein was did bernstein say the sort of advanced yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um Whereas when sort of things nominally normalized, like their, mm. their base of support was the levelers' base of support was largely in the cities. Sure. One of the things that Hill says was that like, even if the levelers had successfully achieved the reforms politically that they were looking to achieve, mm. there was no actual cons cons um, constituency that was actually going to elect them. Yeah. <laughs> they would have had to do a huge <laughs> amount of work sort yeah. of like convincing the, the the newly enfranchised British population like mm. to actually vote for them. Kind of yeah. thing. Um, so they were clearly uh, like clearly a sort of like minority opinion, I suppose. Sure. Um, yeah. I also think that the army just gave them a very literal base from which to like spread their ideas really easily because a lot of the ways that the levelers um, John Lilleburn, like especially whenever he wrote anything, even when he was in prison, he would get people in the army to like con contribute like every week or so, like, you know, half a day's wage to basically like get the money to print these things, these pamphlets, and then, you know, send someone to like another army camp to spread them out. And so the army definitely played like a huge role mm -hmm. in just the very literal, mm -hmm. like 
how many people they were able to get to listen to them. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, my understanding is that um, for the levelers to have had any huge amount of success, they would have had to win much more support in the army and basically take over the army. Mm. Um, mm. Do you know anything about the new model army? Do you know how they sort of a little like, bit. how they sort of like uh, fit into this whole? I mean, I think that the reason that the army was able to become such a big pole of power was obviously because Cromwell and all those guys like relied on them extremely heavily, mm-hmm. um, and just they had to just keep lying to them about what they were going to promise them to. Um, keep them loyal but i mean i think just in the act of creating an army that at least ostensibly wasn't run by like the equestrian class of the nobility and you wouldn't <laughs> just get you know like you wouldn't just get a uh uh an, ass- an assignment in the army as an officer just because you were born in like some castle you know what i mean just in purely in the act okay. of doing the, that. the, the, the um, a modern army the structure of a modern army internally didn't necessarily reflect anymore the structure of society kind of thing it wasn't yeah. like your your knights and your lords yeah i mean i don't want to go too far in that because like i know armies of peasants so yeah. it was more it was a more formalized army exactly kind of a more definitely a modern, more modern, modern one army. yeah and i mean like i don't want to go too far in that because like cromwell i don't think i don't think cromwell was nobility i think he was just kind of like some guy but he must have been relatively well off right and i mean like other guys like fairfax and stuff like that like i would imagine that they were probably I'm not, I don't want to say this, like, because they might not have been, but, like, I would imagine that while there was some kind of, like, merit-based system in the army, it was also, like, oh, if you're willing to, like, betray the king and come fight for us, we'll give you, like, a good assignment as well. So it wasn't, like, obviously, like, a perfect meritocracy in the army, but just Mm -hmm. by the fact of formalizing the army structure, they realized what power they had, and they were able to be, like, oh, we would like to get paid and have land that you offered us. Um, And also, like, I think this is pretty telling. Like, a huge part of their demands were, like... um, what's the word, uh, not persecuting people on either side because they were like, we don't want to be persecuted if they win, but like equally we have no interest in persecuting the like schmuck who lived across the street from me who just got conscripted into the other army, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because they were kind of just like, this is just about the king and the nobility. We kind of don't really care, you know? So I guess that leads to like <clears throat> a bit of a part about it. Um, yeah, a lot of the demands seem to have been not being punished for things that have happened yeah. during the war. Which, like, what were you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, what, what were you doing? <laughs> um, but, I mean, if you're going to try and sort of, like, mobilize those larger armies, like, sure. people are going to want to know there's going to be an out. Kind of yeah, thing. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I would imagine that they weren't able to get all of the supplies that they needed, perhaps legally. Yes. Um, so maybe they did some things that weren't very nice. Um before we get any further, anti-Cromwell podcast. I think we can both agree on that. We're All definitely right. yeah, not yeah, out yeah. here uh, yeah, yeah, being yeah. pro-Cromwellites. Not a good guy. Not a good bloke. Um, Lilliburn, I kind of like. Up to some antics. Up to some antics. Yeah, yeah. Um, our Irish uh, comrades probably are not fans either. Sure. And I think that we can agree uh, with them on that. Mm-hmm. Um should we get into talking about our boys? Mm. The true our absolute levelers, boys. <laughs> our absolute boys. I think it is funny because like levelers was kind of like a chop at first, I think, because it was like... It seems to have been a term that's been banded around long before this period, mm. from what I understand. like mm. People have been accused of being levelers as almost this sort of like yeah. pejorative... Um, yeah, exactly. And so so I, statement, I won't say that. Yeah. yeah. Attack. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's, that's why it's kind of funny that like the people who were being called the diggers hated diggers so much, the word diggers so much that they were like, we're the true levelers. It's like, well, that's also kind of a job. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. Um, oh, I didn't really, yeah, everybody, everybody's just, uh, yeah, being, yeah. Everybody's known by the thing they were like, 
yeah. for the pejorative name they were given by their opponents. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we get to uh, these these good people. Um, so like we were saying, where the true the levelers just kind of wanted a secular republic, and that was kind of it. And like we should eventually talk about religion because that plays a pretty massive role in all this as yeah, well. Yeah. But for now, just to say that like the diggers, the true levelers, whatever you want to call them, they ostensibly wanted complete common ownership, abolition of private property, and basically like just the right to live because this this was a bad bad time for just normal people yeah, yeah 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 i mean the the, the the real the 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 point of time that we're really interested in focusing on is what uh 1649 yeah is when like um mm-hmm. when like the 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 activities for which the diggers are best known all mm. happened in a few months span basically yeah, 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 exactly. in the spring of, in spring of 49 it didn't go well it didn't go well it. um but the the 1640s sound like they were terrible I mean, yeah. I imagine the whole period was pretty rough, but the 1640s <laughs> sound like they were really awful. Bad um, harvests. Yeah, terrible harvests. Um, and so the sort of like, the the the, the contradictions in that society were um, made far more apparent. The distinctions yeah. between the rich and the poor, the sort of like um, the shortages of food, whilst this sort of enclosure process was continuing or in people's minds or yeah. sort of a present thing. Um so I suppose, like the the, um, it was very easy to build this narrative whereby, um, what was uh, quite rightly the source of people's woes, sure. or something that was really like pouring gasoline on the fire of the 1640s was <laughs> were the sort of really stark class distinctions, mm. um, or disruptions to uh, society that were coming about because of. Mm. this sort of developing new mode of production yeah i mean i would like to find the revolution that doesn't begin with a really crappy harvest (laughs) (laughs) or a war or a war yeah Yeah, exactly um i'm just going to read a little bit from gerard winstanley's the law of freedom and a platform yes real quick just to kind of say what these people were about so this was Basically, what this was was half letter to Oliver Cromwell to be like, "Listen, dude, don't mess this up." And I know that what you're gonna do, and you're gonna mess it up. Here's what the people actually want. They don't really give a shit about your political was demands. This, this 52, uh, 1652 was this written? This was 1652. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also part like utopian outline for a new society, which I didn't know anything about this, and this rocked. So I'm just gonna read a quick paragraph. I'm gonna kind of have to translate part of it. He says, "No man can be rich." But he must be rich either by his own labors or by the labor of other men helping him. That's pretty classic. We know all about that. That's just, you know, Collect- people who collectivity. are rich. Yeah, exactly. And also just like the people who are rich, they're not doing it by their own labor. Sure. The people yeah, yeah. who own all of this land, they're not working the land, basically. Right. Um, if a man have no help from his neighbor, he shall never gather an estate of hundreds and thousands a year and if other men help him to work then are those riches his neighbors as well as his for they be the fruits of other men's labors as well as his own it's kind of the same thing basically like you can't say that you know just because you own this land quote unquote you know that everything that it makes is yours because you're not the one making it but all rich men live at ease feeding and clothing themselves by the labor of other men not by their own which is their shame and not their nobility. For it is a more blessed thing to give than to receive. But rich men receive all they have from the laborer's hand, laborer's hand, and what they give, they give away other men's labors, not their own. 
This dude, Bernstein makes a point where he's like, this dude knew his political economy. He's not wrong. Um, And it's so, I don't know, it's so cool to read something like this from so long ago because you think of, it's hard not to like look at the feudal mode and be like, if only they, you know, had someone like Marx come along and, Mm -hmm. and outline it all for them. But it's like, this is all pretty straightforward. And what Marx is getting at in Capital, like, obviously a lot more complicated and a lot more in depth, but like the basic idea is this, is yeah. that like the people doing the work should have the things. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah, just yeah. rocks to see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And what's nice to hear included in that is the, is the sense of not like um, one man in this sort of like exactly. gendered yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. speech. <laughs> this but like, gendered utopia. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the, the, the work of one man is his own to some extent, mm. but the work of or a collectivity belongs mm. to that collective kind of thing. Mm. There's so much space in this for uh, people working together um, and benefiting from that collective labor. Absolutely. And so right. much of this economic model is basically about um, a society whereby there are collective stores uh, mm. of resources which everybody draws from what they need kind of thing. Um, so it would be so easy to imagine this as being like a kind of like... Um, parcelize the land and let everybody have their due and then they'll sort of like work at their own kind of thing. But it's not about that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's very explicitly a kind of like a collectivized. Yeah. It's communism, folks. Like it's it's very explicitly um, communism. I mean, that seems to be another term that has a history that, I mean, seems to go back as presumably in different iterations Mm. and different understandings, different words perhaps, but Mm. like you could definitely trace the the word of the idea of communism probably as far back as there have been yeah. um, collectives of human beings that didn't live under yeah. what Marx might have called primitive communism. Kind yeah, of thing. I think Marx specifically drew, I, it could be wrong, I think he drew that from Epicureanism, which wasn't, which, well, I mean, which was a very long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like you see why anarchists also lay claim to like the diggers as well, because yeah. it's like, I mean, I don't know, maybe communism in its true form is actually just a lot closer to like collective living and like collective production of things than we would think as kind of what you're saying. It's just like, give everybody the thing and they'll work it. That kind of just, if that's your idea of communism, then perhaps it's a little bit uh, not quite communism. If you, if you see what I'm saying. Like if, you're, if your view of communism is just like give everybody their land and allow them to like work it as they see fit and like compete in some sort of like market economy. I see, like yeah, yeah, That yeah. isn't what he's saying here. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more communal. Yeah, the, I mean, this is far more radical than some anarchists. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, um, obviously it's a, diff- it's a different time and um, they're working with different sort of material conditions. Mm. Um, and it's probably, they're probably able to be so, or when Stanley is able to be so radical because of the time of history in which he is witnessing kind of thing. Like, sure. There is this, still this period of time where most people um, live off of the land, say, like live in the countryside, are agricultural workers of some sort or other. Mm. Um, although this isn't explicitly a a... Uh, philosophy for organizing a society of agricultural workers kind of thing like mm. it's it, it his broader um political theories or um um policy program i suppose yeah. <laughs> he's a policy wonk he's a, he's a policy wonk indeed yeah. <laughs> um is very much orientated toward uh sort of like people having and developing different skills and um 
and sort of like fulfilling different mm. needs for a society. Mm. It's not just everybody has to go back to uh, being an agricultural worker kind of thing. Yeah, this is, de- this is definitely not competition is what he's saying. It's definitely like working towards... Sure, yeah, but it's also not good. It's also not like celebrating like the primitivism sure. or the sort of naturalism of... Yeah. Um, sort of, I don't know. In earlier times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. It, it's certainly... It's, that's really worth reiterating. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, certainly not um, looking to the past. Yeah. It's, it's very much like orientated toward the future. Mm. Um one of the things that Christopher Hill says in that chapter from The World Turned Upside Down is that um, when Stanley and the Diggers are basically the only people who, on the radical end of the the um, the sort of intellectual spectrum that's mm. sort of like finding expression in this time, um, they're the only people that really have um, an a- a- adequate answer to how to actually develop yeah. uh, Britain or English... Uh, the English economy into the future kind of thing mm. um, to actually meet the, the sort of developing needs of the country. Yeah. Um, Hill accuses everyone else of, sorry, Hill <laughs> accuses everybody else of having, doing exactly what we were just saying, right? Like looking toward um, primitive, uh, no, previous historic ways of living. Mm. They're actually trying to reinstantiate feudalism. Yeah. Um, or the sort of like, the feudal rights of um, the peasantry, so we say, mm. or the feudal obligations of the lords, um, whereas the diggers were obviously keen to like abolish all of that, abolish yeah. all authority. Everybody was going to be equal for the most part. Um, obviously, there was some like there there would be elected elected officials, and it would seem that there was some privileging privileging of age as well, like. Mm. Um, presumably it was also very gendered (laughs) so presumably like it was the older men who were going to be considered to be like having some kind of natural sort of authority Um, but obviously he's very keen like very uh, obviously wanted to abolish all class wanted to abolish the nobility wanted to uh, very scathing about the organized religion of its day and how that sort of like fed into uh, the propaganda structures of the existing society kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but also it was really very clearly um, orientated toward development in some respects. Like they really understood the new developing science of mm. um, modern agriculture as it was at the time, which, which basically just meant <laughs> using manure to fertilize the <laughs> land to make it more productive but I they mean, they definitely that. had in mind this idea of productivity yeah. and one of their driving principles was that if we really utilize the land of england to its utmost we could support far greater populations than it currently does kind of thing no one would have to yeah. starve no one would have to go hungry everybody could be provided for mm. um and it's, it would seem like it was largely off the back of the new developments of um what was happening in agriculture. Sure. And one of the other things, one of his other sort of like proposals was that um, invention mm. um, and sort of development of new scientific ideas ought to be really privileged and encouraged and supported. Mm. And there ought to be this process system for dig- distributing those ideas sure. so that they couldn't be like hoarded by one person or one group, <clears throat> but could be used to um, develop the country as a whole kind of thing and mm. build this like larger... Uh, collectivity mm. 
in the minds of the sort of people in the society kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was definitely very like forward, future looking. Absolutely. I mean, he explicitly says, I think at one point where he's like, if we were to use all of the land that is now just rotting under enclosures as barren waste because it doesn't make sense in the market to use this land or something like that. It's like, if we could use all that land, not only would everybody not be starving in like a horrible hellhole that England is at this moment, he was like, we would have more than like any other country in Europe if we were to actually put our minds to it. Um, And I mean, yeah, that was like in a very literal sense, of course. One thing I wanted to bring up though was like, you're very, you're very right about like them wanting to look to the future as to like create something new, but something that comes back again and again in so much of like the radical end of like English revolutionary like politics was this idea of like Norman conquest as being the like beginning mm, yeah, really of all hell of things, yeah, yeah. and it's re- it's really strange, right? Because like the diggers are like generally painted as people who think that like when William the Conqueror came over, it's the Norman yoke, right? It's like the beginning of like all bad things. Mm-hmm. They bought over their laws and their horrible things. And, you know, the like noble Anglo-Saxon, you know, his way of life was like thrown to the side. But when Stanley in this and like the primary stuff that we read was really making the point that like, he wasn't looking back to the Anglo-Saxons for what mm-hmm. they should be mm-hmm. doing. But there was also still this like, God damn Normans. I thought that was so strange. It's like, guys, that was like, what, 500 years ago? Uh 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 Yeah, it's interesting you find that contradiction maybe in the primary text. Like, the Mm. same kind of came up in um, Hill's description of this. Like, he does make that point that for Win Stanley, like, Anglo-Saxon law wasn't any better than, like, Norman law. Um, And also, but also at the same time, like, um, to some extent, this is coming onto some of the religious metaphor, like... Mm. When Stanley was very keen to play in a metaphorical way, as all of his uses of religion seem to have been, uh, with the idea of there having been a fall, yeah, and some yeah. of that sort of some of his language still seems to like fixate around like um, the Norman invasion, the Norman conquest, yeah. Um, now, initially, yeah, initially that kind of the, the the fixation on that by the levelers and some of the new le- the new the true levelers, <laughs> the um, new levelers, that's me. Um, yeah, some some of the fixation by those groups on the on the the figure and the events of Norman Conquest and William the Conqueror uh, does seem a little bit just like where was the sort of like mm. primary primary evil that has set us on this course kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting to me actually thinking. But then I did some thinking and I was thinking back to what we read in Alan Meekson's world, The Oranges oh of my Capitalism. Where it was, in fact, for her in her narrative, like the Norman conquests were really important in the development mm. of capitalism, right? Like mm. it was that England had this imported um, uh, nobility, mm. which resulted in a relatively small number of nobles governing really huge parcels of land. Mm. Um, By force at the beginning. Yeah, so, like, yeah, 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 quite. But like one compared to France, where there were great, considerably more nobles, and they had mm. smaller uh, um, land holdings, and they had smaller sort of peasant populations on them. And by virtue of that fact, they were kind of like um, sort of con- sort of constricted by that um, that operation, I suppose. Can we say like mm. it was the Norman conquest and the change of nobility in Britain, which um, changed in vital ways as i as i remember and understand for uh wood's argument mixing's wood's argument 
that imported nobility changed in vital ways the structure of English society such that it allowed for this developing uh, the, 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 well, I mean, suppose it, it put in, it put in place the circumstances for um, the, the, the changes in the relationship between uh, lord and peasant and later lord and tenant farmer, mm. which uh, allowed for the development of capitalism. Mm. So therefore, to some extent, they're not wrong. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> uh, in, in that their complaints were um, the development of wage labour, the process of enclosure, the, the reliance on the market, shall we say, the sort of newly commercialised mm. world in which they live. Mm. Like, so many of those things can draw their origin back to the Norman conquest. Now, perhaps they didn't know that, but like, I don't know. The Normans also known as the European Union. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting because I think when Stanley sees a like correlate, no, not a correlation, a like comparison between the Normans and this new like bougie parliament, right? Because he basically says like, he's, when he's listing everything that he's pissed off about to Oliver Cromwell, he says like, you basically just changed the king's laws for the law of the Commonwealth. That's mm -hmm. one thing. But he also says, and I'm going to quote again here, he says, that the economic evils were very great. In the country, the lords of manor still oppressed their brethren after their old fashion, exacted fines and other feudal impos imposts from them, and drove them from the common land if they did not pay rent. In parishes with common land, the wealthy landlords, the rich Norman freeholders, as well as the new gentry, who are said to be even more covetous than the old landlords, would overstock the commons with sheep and cattle so that the poor peasants and laborers could scarcely manage to keep a cow. So he's basically saying that, like, yeah, the old guys were bad, but, like, you guys, not only are you doing the exact same thing as the old guys, but you're doing it worse because now you have to pay for everything that you screw... Well, everything that you, you know, like this war and keeping power and all of this stuff. So it's in, it's an interesting comparison between the, like, Norman yoke argument and then also, like, things being worse by the, like, yoke of the parliament. <laughs> Westminster's yoke, as I like to call it. Um, but, yeah, it is just very interesting. I mean, it is, I don't know. It is just a, it's a cool comparison between the, like, looking to the past as, like, for the source of the fall, but then also, like, attempting, as when Stanley was, to look to the future, to how things could be better, mm -hmm. and not just, like, as Cromwell kind of was, how can we keep power and keep everybody happy so that we don't have another war, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose we should probably explain why they're called the Diggers. Mm. <laughs> Praxis is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're called the diggers. Again, that was like a pejorative term because they uh, went and practiced what they preached. Uh -huh. So they went and basically took over these barren enclosures with a big com commune, I guess you could say, of people and started just leveling the land out, started digging it and planting wheat because everybody needed food. Um, and I was telling you this not too long ago, Dan, I believe that um, the most famous of these encampments was in what is now Surrey, I think. Mm -hmm. And I looked it up on Google Maps to see what it was today. And it's a golf course. It's <laughs> <laughs> the worst I'd thing on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> so the site of perhaps England's most radical moment is now a golf course, which uh -huh. is pretty cool. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Ugh. Must have been quite a sight to all the locals. <laughs> These folks just showed up and yeah. took over this piece of barren land. St. George's Hill. Mm -hmm. um, 
and told the, there were only a few of them, and they told the locals more will come, and gradually yeah. more came, and they built this encampment, and they started to cultivate the land. And this happened all over the country, actually. Like, mm. For a while, it was considered that maybe this was the only instance of it happening. Mm. But it seems there's, quite, there's limited information about where these various encampments were, but um, it's clear that the 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 true levelers, or at least the philosophies that were the foundation for the true levelers, had a huge amount of support throughout sort of... Mm all of agricultural England kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, I've been wondering how that word got out. If it was just people talking to each other, or if it was more of like a level of thing. I mean, like I think they probably pamphlets. had a mess, a process for, mm. for um, spreading, their, spreading their propaganda. The good <laughs> <laughs> I wonder whether they may have all just sort of set out and sort of started these camps in various places and yeah. encouraged people to join them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, when Stanley, I don't think started, he, I could be wrong. He yeah, knew, I, I, I don't think he did. I think he was at St. George's sale. He I was, but yeah, I don't yeah. think he started it. I think okay. he kind of showed up and like coalesced what they were saying into like mm -hmm. words. <laughs> How were they speaking? If not words. <laughs> Sign language. Uh -huh. um, they're speaking with the spade. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. Yeah. And, um, and as you can imagine, uh, the landlords and the nobility were not best pleased. <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Imagine trying to use this land to feed yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was surprised that when Stanley didn't get executed. Yeah. Um, eventually. I mean, I think, well, I think he was, I think Cromwell was kind of disp well disposed to him, no? Huh. I, I think kind of like, um, at least kind of like... <laughs> this guy's got hoodspot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I maybe to sort of deceived him into thinking that like mm. he could have his ear, kind of thing. Sure, I may be speaking out of turn now. I'm I mean, really I know sure. there's the there's the famous, perhaps apocryphal moment where <clears throat> when Stanley and one of his other digger cronies um, came in to meet Cromwell or somebody like that, and they refused to take off their hats. They're like, "Why aren't you taking off your hats? Do you know who this is?" And they were like, "Because we are all but men." <laughs> <laughs> Presumably a very grandiose way and presumably very big floppy yeah. hats in my head. I wonder what kind of hat. <laughs> a fedora. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, God. <clears throat> um, well, I can't condone that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, we, uh, yeah, I guess we should also talk about um, religion as well. <coughs> because we do have to remember that these were people of their time. Oh, my God, I need some water. Jesus. We do have to remember that these were people of their time, right? And uh, this was a very religious time. And I mean, when you're taught about Oliver Cromwell in school, you're not really taught a whole lot about how insane these people were for God. Because I mean, like, these were the people who... This is the original <laughs> war on God. Christmas, Dan. <laughs> these people wanted to cancel Christmas because they were so religious. But it seems a little uh -huh. insane. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. We've talked about our uh, love for the pagan winter holidays on the show before. Sure. Yeah. yeah my, only, my only problem with this whole period is everybody <laughs> seems to be a Puritan. And I'm yeah, just like, <laughs> I know. I mean, like, it all sounds really cool, guys. But, like, I'm not really <laughs> sure how on board I am with, yeah. like degree of work that you're probably going to demand of me <laughs> exactly um but or i mean quaker i mean what is a puritan i will quaker. say i'm pretty pro-quaker yeah, yeah in the communist society of the future perhaps not organized religion at all it will allow the quakers to hang out yeah. i think why not we like the quakers mm -hmm. and all of these people little burn win stanley they all wound up becoming quakers yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. i think is pretty cool <laughs> yeah 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 i was saying there wasn't when win stanley was buried as a quaker yeah Bless him. Uh -huh. I mean, when Stanley's religious beliefs, because again, this is another thing that like in most popular histories of this period, they are perhaps rightly so, but the diggers especially are painted as just like 
fanatics for God. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting in this, because that's kind of just what I thought. Because I was like, yeah, okay, he was like a dude in England in the 1600s. Like, he probably was. But in reading this, and in The Hill as well, Mm -hmm. he talks about the kind of like, the unity of, and I suppose progressiveness, if that's the right word to say, of Win Stanley's religious beliefs. Because a lot of his political beliefs, right, were coming from this idea of, like, God is everything around us and God believes everything is equal. Mm-hmm. That's why there can't be landlords. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's interesting because Hill makes the point that that's, like, bordering on a kind of pantheism. And I think the last line, right, in the Hill was something like, from Win Stanley's pantheism, like, eventually just we get secularism because he was even referring to God in his writings as reason. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, I, I was like, Whoa. Oh my yeah. God. Hale suggests that when Stanley became increasingly more kind of like materialist as his mm. life went on, or at least like his intellectual life went on. And as you say, yeah, likens God to mm. reason basically. And is advocating yeah. the advance of reason, um, clearly advo- advocating, he's advocating establishing heaven on earth. Yeah. I suppose. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Like, <laughs> um, and uh, is obviously like opposed to uh, mainstream religion preaching, like, you'll get your ju- do just desserts in the afterlife kind of thing. Now, suck it up and stuff for it now. <laughs> um, also, very heavily, and I suppose really quite important, is um, it really does seem what he's doing is using religion as a form of metaphor. Yeah. and building into his arguments kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly his argument is very much based around the idea of um, humanity has fallen. Mm. Yeah. Um, fallen from um, the possibility of sort of like a sort of like peaceful existence between people, mm. uh, an existence of equality, an existence of abundance, um, the sort of lost abundance of the garden of eden yeah um but as i say like it's uh it's it's metaphorical in really quite explicit ways i think which mm. could quite easily be interpreted as sort of like heretical for once of a better word yeah yeah no absolutely um it was yeah but yeah like he would but it, i mean clearly, clearly it all stems from um uh sort of like nature is god's bounty for human beings and mm. obviously everybody's equal uh before nature kind of thing and all hierarchies just mm. sort of like uh this sort of like corruption of human mm. beings um and clergy as well not a fan yeah, of the clergy quite, yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. he ahead of his time saw clergy and the state and like he wouldn't call them this but capitalists is basically all one part of the broader machine sure yeah, yeah. keeping the little digger down uh-huh 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 He's also a prison abolitionist. Right, right on. Very cool. <laughs> oh, he seemed quite keen on the death penalty, though. Or at Ooh. least, like, he sort of seemed to have built it into the legal system. He, 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 was very keen, he was very keen for the legal system such that it would exist to be not punitive, but for sort of what we would, I suppose, nowadays mm. call rehabilitative yeah. purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although he did seem to allow the death penalty for, like, things like murder and rape. Yeah. And also, quite uh, quite funnily, buying and selling. I do. He be... was not, do not, do not sell anything in front of Gerard <laughs> Wynn Stanley. Oh my God, this dude was not a he fan was, of buying and selling. He was going to come for you. Yes. I like. I mean, that is his primary evil for the most part. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah. He's Ber- uh, Bernstein's at one point. Um, 
But he was asked, will there be any lawyers? The reply is in the negative, and the reason is stated briefly and tersely. There will be no buying and selling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really did seem to think that lawyers would just... Well, it would make sense for this period. I mean, we've come across this idea before, right? Like, um, in the other mixes, was the development of, like, legalism um, and also the sort of, like, assessing the quality of land, the sort of, yeah. like, early sort of contracts and stuff like that. So you can see why it would be really important. The development of a legal system was or a changed and new legal system that was really fixated or um, centred around facilitating the new sort of capitalist mode mm-hmm. of production as mm-hmm. it existed at the time, sort of agricultural and nascent capitalist mode of production. Um, mm. So you can see why he would really set his sights on the lawyers, but boy, does he hate them. <laughs> yeah, boy, oh does he boy. hate them. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also, I think, kind of swung and missed a little bit. At uh, Well, maybe not swung and missed, but... He kind of whiffed a little bit, I think, in regards to the family, because he gets to the point where he's talking about, like, oh, if we follow this logic, should we basically just, like, abolish the, you know, capitalist family union? It's like the man ruling over the wife and ruling over everything else. And he's like, no, of course not. It's yeah. like, ah. Yeah, I, yeah there, was, there was one point when I was going through it, and I was like, he, um, he was, he's talking about the, all the classic distinction between, like, um, Private property and like personal property, kind of yeah. thing. the old, oh. the old. They're coming from my toothbrush meme. Um, <laughs> but he, but he, he did in something that I read a quote of his where he sort of suggested that that property would belong to the family. Yeah. He at least didn't say it would belong to the man. Although yeah. then in his sort of like in one of these, maybe it was in the Bernstein. Actually, there was this sort of structure of the various tiers of his imagined society. Yeah. Um, and what authorities existed at what tiers? Yeah. Um, at the family level, he very explicitly put the sort of the father as yeah. the, the sort of like natural authority figure at the level of the family. Damn. Um, so there close. You there you go. So yeah, he wasn't he wasn't in favor of abolishing the family, unfortunately. Mm, mm, but, sadly. But we'll forgive him. We'll forgive him. Yeah. I mean, this was a dude in the 17th century, so yeah. we'll forgive him for that. Perhaps not wanting to abolish the family quite that early. <laughs> um Yeah, I don't I don't know. Again, I think I just kind of want to make the point that I was like stunned at how radical his points were, other than the things we've mentioned that weren't. Um I really had kind of like I really like this period of history and I was really like surprised how much I had no idea about just how radical the like true levelers were mm-hmm. because again you read a- anything like i got a book from goddamn verso dan that has like all of all of i mean i guess this is called the levelers not the true levelers it's all about the putney debate so you know kind of what do you expect it's also a verso book but i mean like i don't know i was really expecting them to basically just be like more on the political question and kind of just like kooky dudes who are out trying to make everybody live together and you know d- dig for cabbages basically <laughs> like i was really impressed because that's kind of just how they get painted as like again these fanatical yeah, like, anarchists yeah, yeah. i mean we don't know how the actual people we don't we don't have that many accounts perhaps maybe yeah. there are we haven't read that many accounts of the actual people involved beyond the sort well, of like um the intellectual heavyweight yeah. It was Jared Winstanley. Yeah. Um, so some of this is skewed by sort of like Winstanley's perception of it, and clearly, sort of Winstanley had built a more coherent ideology. But at the same yeah. time, you are you are very correct. Like they they they're not just like they're not just like the levelers when it became apparent that the levelers had sold out, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're, I suppose you're right to draw it. A lot of it probably stems from their the differing constituencies, right? Like oh sure, yeah. Like yeah. one speaks to the sort of like well, yeah, I mean, when Stanley, although not although not like 
centering in his system the sort of like the starving agricultural poor mm. its message is clearly cultivated toward them or like sure. it is the, the the moral outrage of what has resulted in uh this sort of like terrible poverty yeah that is motivating much of his like mm. his thinking and much of the political action yeah 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 no absolutely um I would just like to read a little bit because I pulled this this book, um, The Levelers, The Putney Debates, by uh, presented by Jeffrey Robertson. Um, I got this a long time ago just to kind of like see if I could get through a lot of the like leveler inspired petitions and stuff. And is, it, is it mostly first hand accounts? It's yeah, it's only yeah. it's entirely uh, primary stuff, um, which is interesting. It's also the levelers, so all right, whatever. But I would just like to read. The most insane couple of sentences I've ever read in an ostensibly left-wing book, okay? I don't know who Jeffrey Robertson is. Could be a really cool guy. I don't know. But let me just read you this and see what you think. This is in the introduction. Today's single most important political principle, the right to live in a participatory democracy, comes down to us not from the slave-owning societies of Athens and Rome or from the pleasant estates in France where Rousseau and Montague envisioned the quote-unquote general will, but from the buff-coated and blood-stained English soldiers and tradesmen. this book lets their voices resonate again blah 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 and then he goes on to say what is perhaps the most insane sentence i've ever read in a book he said it is an abiding irony that the united kingdom a country that has more history to be proud of than any other should be so reluctant to acknowledge the most significant part of it i agree with the he brings it back around at that last bit of the sentence but more history to be proud of than any other i don't know has he opened a history book for the last two three (laughs) hundred years i don't know about that more history, you should say. A lot of yeah. history here. A lot of history. Um, but yeah, that's Jeffrey Robertson presenting the levelers, the Putney debates. What do I expect from a leveler? Am I right? <laughs> anything? Shocking. Anything? Yeah, shocking. Anything else we want to say about the buff coated? Um, I would also say the most radical moment of that clearly did not of the English Civil War and the Revolution clearly did not come from the buff coated and blood stained army guys <laughs> Nothing or tradesmen. <laughs> yeah, goddamn Putney. It clearly came from the mud-stained, uh, feces-clad and peasant of Surrey. <laughs> How crazy is it that Surrey used to be, like, the most radical part of England? I think that's really funny. Get us back to those days. I've just realized if, 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 if Digger is a pejorative, mm. maybe, they wouldn't, maybe they didn't identify as Diggers because they didn't actually dig. Oh my god! <laughs> they were the original no, no tell. tell. Oh my god! Charles Dowding's bloodline goes straight to Gerard Wynn Stanley. That's <laughs> the that's the thumbnail art for the podcast. <laughs> Good lord! Um, the first T-shirt. First T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Charles Dowding's face on it. Um, anything else we want to say about them? Again. Cool stuff. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I'm glad we did this. It's, a, I mean, it's a period of history I'd like to engage with more. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously, it would be really good to come back to this period of history. <laughs> I'm losing my mic. <laughs> uh, it would be good to come back to this period of history in in terms of some of the broader questions that we were sort of skirting around mm. at the beginning, like how this fits in, how these revolutionary act- activities came about as a result of the sort of changing class relations, shall we say, or mm. how much of the development of capitalism was necessitated by, or necessitated some of the revolutionary action, um, some of the political changes that came about. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, we've, I mean, we, I can only put, uh, reiterate what we've already said. Like, mm. I, I, as clearly you were as well, um, really quite astonished by. Um, I mean, with Stanley's writing, and mm. it's quite inspiring. These people that just went and did it, as you said, just went and did it. <laughs> they just did it. I mean, it would seem. Uh, maybe I've got this wrong. Did you ever come across this idea that they were? Um, Almost like pacifistic in their outlook. Yeah, I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely got that vibe. They were very kind of like like they they're. I mean, in some like, I mean, it's. I mean, maybe that's a function of some of the religiosity. I don't know. Or just like a war. Or just the war that just couldn't be dealing with it anymore. <laughs> um, but it was very much a kind of like um, I don't know, like a sort of like the original peaceful protest. We're just going to go yeah. and do our thing. Yeah. Let's see if they they stop us. And they did. They did. Yeah. <laughs> That's why anarchists love this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, it is so refreshing when you come across socialist, communist ideas in a place that you don't expect and where it almost makes it seem as though these ideas are inevitable and obvious because they are. Because, like, the basic idea that when Stanley and all of these people were trying to get across was that if you make something, it should be yours. Mm-hmm. Or at least, like, you know, it shouldn't just go to this fat schlub sitting in some sort of throne in a mighty castle somewhere, as it literally did back then. Um, I certainly don't want to, like, imply that anything is inevitable, communism is inevitable or anything like that, but, like, it's just refreshing. It's mm. like these ideas mm. are always mm. percolating mm. in people's mm. minds, and for it to be, have been percolating in the English peasant's mind all these years ago makes me feel good. Yeah, I mean, the the stark contradictions of that society, like, yeah. led to these ideas kind of thing. Mm. Um we live in an equally starkly uh, contradictory time. Yep. Um, so mm. let's see what happens. I mean, I, I, I was reflected on this thing that we've talked about before where, like, um, was it proximity to, um, well, two things, I suppose. Was it proximity to the actual transition into capitalism that allowed these people to, like, mm think that this other world was possible even though i mean maybe we were overblowing quite how many there were and quite how but it would seem the ideas Mm. were quite popular even if like the active participants were i'm not quite sure what i mean to get an audience with cromwell you can imagine it wasn't just a couple of schlubs yeah 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 Mm. um and i suppose also like the proximity or the ease of the idea of um having means of production that were your own to some Mm. extent or that's not quite true actually because they wanted to uh, they did want to collectivize the means of production but i suppose like having such a a considerably less developed um industrial i mean it was but wasn't industrial was it sure Um, living in an economy or an industrial or productive system which is significantly less complicated um i wonder if it makes it easier to like envisage that leap toward like yeah uh collectivizing the means of production (laughs) sure um i mean i think it's a confluence of a lot of things right because uh i mean like if you look at the french revolution it wasn't simply that they just had a bad king it was that there were like crap harvests after crap harvests after crap harvests and like you know perhaps there's like a genetic thing with like how horrible the nobility had gotten and like again we see the same thing here of like it wasn't just the king was an idiot and he had no idea what he was doing. It wasn't just that there was a, perhaps about to be a war with another country. If you want to call anybody syphilitic, Jack, I'm really, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I've gotten there. I'm raring to go with that word earlier today. But I mean, like, it, you know, it wasn't just that. It was, it was the, the famines. It was these insanely destructive wars. And whenever we see, like, 
I like I do I see what you're saying because I always kind of come back and forth in my head of like is it the disasters that like cause so much disarray that there is then room for these ideas to flourish mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I like to think of these ideas as just always percolating but perhaps they're just not given uh you know good enough soil to sprout or something like that you know what I mean so more compost yeah more compost more manure more, more, manure. Yeah, more manure if anybody would like to donate some manure to the podcast <laughs> Uh uh-huh. maybe that's the new way to conceptualize what it is that we do here we're just shoveling <laughs> manure into the ears of the yeah. listener <laughs> creating would... a fertile environment for the, <laughs> the green shoots of socialism that's beautiful i would uh i would love Sorry. to hear gerard winstanley's podcast <laughs> oliver cromwell debate me <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's basically what that is right that 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 what is that thing that you that's basically his youtube video trying to get literally. oliver cromwell to respond kind of thing. <laughs> gerard stanley with like 20 followers on twitter is adding cromwell with his exactly <laughs> with his considerably longer than whatever it is 240 characters yeah. treaties one of 30 here's what's wrong yeah. with oliver cromwell <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. King, uh, I think we can put him up there on the Pantheon. Jordan yeah. Stanley, absolutely. Yeah, King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might, he might not wish to be called. King. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> he might even get executed for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um. So I have gone through many phases in this podcast, Dan. Uh, after the Alan Mixon's Wood reading, I was a Maoist for quite some time. <laughs> um, after the Murray Bookchin, I became a primitivist. I, um. But now I think we can officially seal it up. I'm going to be this for the rest of my life. I'm a true leveler, baby. Through and through. It just rocks. All of this, it just, I mean, not all of this, obviously. We mentioned the stuff that doesn't rock. But, like, uh, you just love to see it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm. Communist through and through. Communist through and through. <laughs> um, do you want potatoes? Because I have <laughs> way too many potatoes. I'd love, I'd love it if someone would just take these goddamn potatoes. <laughs> okay. What if oh, we just got God. more manure? Well, I just don't have anywhere to put them. You've actually run out of space. I've actually run out of space because I want to plant just other put things. potatoes everywhere. Oh, you want other things? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, okay. Mm-hmm. I'll take some of your potatoes. Excellent. There are aphids all over them, so don't put them near anything else. <laughs> anything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the reason I was like, I just need to bury these Great. really quickly. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. You destroyed all of my crops. My bedroom is full of aphids. Yeah. This is, I would go and join St. George's Hill, the like digger community, and be like, hey guys, I bought some plants. And like, aphids have destroyed everything. You just bring the blight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ever since Jack Plague showed up. Jack. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got leprosy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what a disgusting period of history i hate to say it just like i this is a period of time that i just think of as being literally disgusting in terms of just like filth Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. the peasants weren't filthy i would imagine they kind of have it sorted out again this comes back to our long-running belief in just abolishing london as a concept altogether but like god damn it london must have been disgusting (laughs) my god i mean it took a long time for it to get livable i would imagine (laughs) if you would consider it livable now i don't know zing (laughs) <laughs> I mean, a lot of people live there. So. Yeah, a lot of people do live there. That is true. <laughs> um, all right. All power to them. All power to them. Yeah. I mean, after last week's episode, I now know that 100,000 people cut it off. Mm-hmm. That's enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty on board with mm-hmm. that because all of my favorite cities are like in and around 100,000 people. Yeah. So cut it off there. If it's so nice in London, why do they always feel <laughs> the need to come to Whitstable? Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't that's know. what I'm saying. <laughs> well, if it's so nice in London. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. This, 
the new stage of the, the grumpy old man version of our <laughs> yes, podcast. Exactly. Right? If it's so nice in London, why does it cost me £30 to get there? <laughs> why does it cost me £30 to get to London? That's insane. It's, true. it's not even it's an true. hour on a train. That's insane. Um, I don't know. I like how they bought up that, like, the only reason people were talking about this, Bernstein, I think, about this, was because he was like, people had forgotten all about this, and then they just found all these pamphlets in the British Museum, and they were like, holy crap, this guy was a communist. <laughs> yeah, and also, I would imagine the French had gotten a bit, like, big for their breaches. Yeah, oh, thing, oh like, yeah, they're like, we need to, like, we need yeah, to find yeah, yeah. a communist <laughs> in the past yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, other people have, like, committed regicide, like, not just you guys. Like, I mean, you had a fancy mechanical way of doing it, but, yeah. like... Gragas Babuff, it wasn't that cool, all right? I mean, Gragas Babuff, I hate to say, it does fall beneath the Gerard Winstanley Stanley in the rankings of proto-communists, but what are you going to do? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. okay. Well, well, let's start building the rankings. Yeah. I'd like to do some stuff on Babuff, actually. I don't know anything about him, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know a whole lot either. I just feel so bad for, like, whenever anybody tries to do anything good during a French Revolution, they're just immediately killed. Yeah. It's like him. Louis Blanc, <laughs> again, I've defended him on the podcast before. I'll defend him till the day I die. Short King, um, amongst others. I don't know. Babuff, though, mainly. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously, like, everybody involved with the I'm Paris still, I still get my, <laughs> I still get my Blanc. Uh, my Blanc the Babu- oh, Blanc yeah, Like, yeah. Bl- the... Louis Blanc was the guy that lived up basically all the way to the. Oh no! I mean, I'm thinking of Blanc. He was like Blanqui, still yeah. alive in the Paris. Yeah, it would be quite tricky if <laughs> if Blanc was still alive in 1871. No, not, yeah, 1871 when um, he was active in the French Revolution. <laughs> no, okay. no, no, no. Blanc was 1848 or 1830. I think because he was the workshops guy. I think. But he was still oh, knocking. He died he, in eighteen eighty two. Yeah, he was still Holy knocking. Shit. Yeah, he was still knocking around in the commune. I mean, I don't think he was yeah. at the commune. I think he was in prison, or maybe he, maybe well, Blanc he like given his, up. his whole history was like escaping, escaping, or getting like sure. somehow convincing some monarch or some leader to com- to release him, and then immediately going off and like yeah. um, provoking insurrection again. So I don't, I don't think he was in the commune, but he was definitely still knocking around. Yeah, Are you yeah. talking about Blanqui or Blanc? I don't know whichever one, <laughs> the one that you just looked at. Blanc, Blanc was 1848. I don't know how much... Well, you just said he died in 18... He did die then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... Yeah. I, just, I just don't know how much... Uh... I think he was an adjutant throughout. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah all right. Or an irritant. I just always think of him as, like, failing completely with the <laughs> national workshops and then just being like, ah, I, I, I give up. Blanqui, though. Well, he just became, like, just a, just him. a vanguardist, didn't he? He was just like... No, uh... that's Blanqui. <laughs> We're gonna, have to, we're, gonna, a, we're gonna have to hash this out. Blanc, Blanky was the vanguardist. I think Blanc was kind of a. I think of him as more of a bumbling fool, perhaps. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. I mean, I, 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 um, listener, I defer to Jack's greater wisdom. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I mean, we'll just we'll, we'll work it out. They're b- both both cool. We'll say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, next week we'll, we'll maybe one next of these, week one when we read about Louis yeah, about yeah. August Blanqui I'll become a Marxist Leninist and then <laughs> I'll forget about the diggers completely. <laughs> Jack is just sort of settling in his sort of like um, his uh, chosen ideological. It's like position. when you it's like when you're sh- like He's sifting something, panning for gold. Yeah. The big the big ones are staying. I'm a digger. Uh-huh, I don't want to be uh-huh, anything uh-huh, else. Uh-huh. Who cares? There was a nice bit in one of the things that we were reading. I don't know whether this is of any particular relevance. Only, only jumping off from our reading about money last week for mm-hmm. Capital through the weekend. Um, there's a bit where Win Stanley's talking about gold and silver, and he really hates money, obviously, because <laughs> he hates buying and selling. And he's sort of he's talking about soon once again we'll use gold and silver for their sort of like material properties oh, yeah. and not for as a sort of 
abstract representative of... but what's their material property i don't though? know jewelry. it's shiny yeah. <laughs> like, that it, sounds like it, buying and selling today. <laughs> oh yeah they were puritans as well so maybe exactly. they had to think about again shiny things yeah so what would you use gold for what if he was like we'll use it for computing and motherboards yeah. like, what the hell are you talking <laughs> about <laughs> hey there's a good also, there's, there's a time travel there's a time oh, travel lot of jared when stanley was actually a time traveler <laughs> when i exactly when i go crazy and i live on my allotment um, and I invent a time you machine, you're going to realize that it's me. <laughs> Or that. <laughs> Jack is Jared Winstanley. Like, guys, have you ever read Karl Marx? They're like, who? <laughs> Where's Germany? What's that? <laughs> uh, good stuff. Mm-hmm. England, mm-hmm. troubled history. More history to be proud of than any other. More <laughs> history to be proud of. Um, I'm very proud. You should be proud, but it's also like, I guess I expected... This to be like a book by someone who's like at least communist adjacent and the guy who's like, nations are good and I'm proud of mine. It's like, okay, all right. But it sounds a bit like what he was he was doing, what I was just joking about, which mm. is like trying to wrestle from the French entire own ownership <laughs> of like the revolutionary tradition. This is the at least up yoke. to 1917. This is <laughs> the Norman yoke. That English people still so angry about France. It's the Norman yoke. Have you ever been to France? It's yeah. worse than London. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, it's like it's not Rousseau or Montague on their pleasant mm. estates in France, mm. or uh, William the Conqueror in his pleasant London. I watched, I watched a fun French film last night. Oh. Peut-être. Have you ever seen Peut-être? Peut-être. Never heard of Peut-être. It's it's, uh, it's, it's um, set on the eve of the millennium. Mm. And uh, this millennium. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a comedy, and I was a little bit disappointed because I because <laughs> I thought it was so basically. So basically, this guy goes to this New Year's party and he's having a good time, kind of thing. Um, and he gets into an argument. I'm going to spoil the whole film for you now. All right, no, okay. But the plot is very simple. He gets into an argument with his girlfriend about potentially having kids, mm. and then he finds this portal in <laughs> above above the bathroom, in the roof of the bathroom, and he goes through it, and it's sort of like this room all full of sand, and he sort of keeps climbing through some other levels <laughs> and finds himself in sort of like 70 years time Paris, where Paris is like covered in sand. And then, and then he encounters his descendants who then have to try and convince him that he needs to go back uh. and have children so that his descendants will live. Ah, why sand? Oh, I, it, Paris is just a desert. I don't know why. Oh, Because it's the future. But it's like... it's like Sounds better than it's, what it is. Uh, it's, it's um environmental catastrophe run amok. Mm. But it seems like quite a nice place. Everybody's like... Mm. Having it. This is why I was a bit disgruntled because I was like, oh, he's going to go to the future and it's going to be great. And I thought some mm. really bleak kind of like 12 monkeys kind of future. Yeah. And actually it's just kind of like... Yeah. Silly, friendly, a bit camp kind of. Thing. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. French. There you French. Go. I will say Paris oh, I, yeah. in terms of cities. I wasn't. There was no subtitles, so I was having it sort of translated to oh, me, so God. I may have misunderstood what the plot was entirely. <laughs> You're like, was that sand? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paris in terms of cities. I went there oh, and I was like, yeah, 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 and I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Everything's beautiful. It's really like nice, and there's like a world class museum on any every corner, and then you like leave the like first arrondissement and you're like oh that's why it's so nice is because everything else is fucking horrible (laughs) it's like not to like slag anyone who lives there but it's like paris as a city is about as like blatant in its uh inequalities as Mm. you can get because it's Mm -hmm. like you go outside of where the city walls used to be yeah and it's just like oh they don't care at all about what happens outside of the tourist zones. fucking just brutal dude unbelieved though having said that pretty cool um 
not a fan of wars, but their war museum is the coolest. Dude, and, okay, I'm just going to say this. <laughs> My, the only thing I'll say about Envalide, I'll say two things. One, they have an entire room, which is just painted like 33 mil miniatures of like every army France ever had, which rocks. Army. It's really, really cool. All right. No, and, no space marines then. No space marines. Oh, yeah, not in the future. We'll okay, get there. Okay, okay. Um, the second really cool thing is that they have a breastplate of someone who was in... Oh, no, it wasn't the commune. Anyway, they have a breastplate of someone who I think was in, like, Napoleon's army at, like, Waterloo or something that just has a hole that, like, the size of a grapefruit straight through it from where they get hit by a cannonball. I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. I was like, damn, that Mm -hmm. sucks for that dude, but, like, that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow, Jack, the 1st of April, is the anniversary of um, the the occupation of St. George's Hill. Really? Are you serious? Oh, my God. I did not know I'm pretty sure I read that in one of these books. I don't know what anniversary it is. What was it? Holy crap. 49. So... Summer of 49. That's I, weird. I can't do the history at all. I can't do the... That's weird that we planned that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else is weird about that is that it was just the anniversary. It is still currently, as we speak, the anniversary of the Paris Commune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on? No, we didn't do anything for that. Spring. We? Yeah, well, yeah. spring is the... Well, that's when... Springtime of the peoples. Yeah. 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 That's when people get up to it. It's when they get up to it. It's when they're planting their wheat, I guess. Um, it's nice. It's very nice. nice. We should go to St. George's Hill and demand that it stops being a golf Stop course. Golf course. This yeah. is my heritage. It's not your game. <laughs> just go and plant the potatoes. That's why you can plant your potatoes. Oh, my God. It just destroys the soil. Excellent idea. Um, I will also say that um, there was somebody in here named William Jackson who was a, uh, a digger. And that's my name. I was like, dude cool i was like i don't know that could have been like a jackson it's pretty awesome that was pretty cool i was like that could have been someone who was vaguely related to me okay again another thing i'm gonna say is that whenever anybody talks when you go back in time huh that's who you are when you go back in time. (laughs) i don't think he was a very good guy i think he kind of screwed something up um but whenever anybody talks about direct descendants how dumb is that I don't know. I just always thought that's so stupid. Because yeah, because like... you're so like diluted at that exactly. point. Like, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, exactly. Not that it means anything anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Jackson, though. That's cool. Yeah. I'll take that. Apparently, some of my uh, ancestors worked on the uh, victory. Building the victory. I've just built a chartum. Interesting. There you go. Yeah, the Jacksons. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we know to learn enough about Jack's history for now. <laughs> um, that rocked. I love that. Dude, just these, not to like, build us up or anything these last few episodes i've loved everything that we've talked about it's nice. been great nice. especially this good stuff still having fun still having fun um go watch our the full interview if you don't want to hear the edited podcast version with andy and elliot from Portfolio's almanac that's up on our youtube you can see what dan and i look like i am hideous i'll say that and i um have a third eye as well though mm. and two fingers so you'll see that in the live uh, <laughs> his third eye is not visible on camera though. <laughs> yeah i didn't say where it was he's not telling me where he keeps it yet. <laughs> yeah yeah next to the my crystal ball um so yeah go watch that that rocked andy and elliot again thanks you guys for coming on and next week something else next week is going to be so good it was Tune so funny in. my dad was like we should really you're like it would be really you cool you if and you guys I. yeah, yeah. Okay. he's like, he's like it would i be mean really... if your dad wants to come on the podcast it's fine. dad come on the show he was like it'd be really cool if you guys like gave a teaser about what you were going to talk about so people could research it and i was like you're implying that we know what yeah. we're uh-huh. i mean there is a high chance that um um we may like make a final triumphant return to a certain book yes i mean that probably ought to, it's probably due let's just do that yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so if you haven't read 
God Emperor Ralph Miliband's Marxism Politics. By now, what are you doing? What are you doing? Get to it. We're going to finish it next week. That's my silly statement, promise. All right, I haven't eaten dinner yet, so I'm going to have it. All right then. Bon appetit, Jack. Bon appetit. I've been done. I have been Jack. Thank you for listening, everyone. See you next time. Woo. The music you heard this episode was Music to Kill Bad People To by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. If you like this song, you can check it out and much, much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com. Be sure and follow us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you like what you heard, be sure and tune in next week for some more commie discussion. Till next time. Whoa.